Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Imagine if you and your team were called upon to go to the front lines of a global pandemic. How would you lead your team and yourself in the face of so much risk and uncertainty? My guest today did that, and he's here to talk about it. Max Harrigan is a company commander who led 100 National Guard infantrymen to the front lines. They were converted into COVID-test administrators for the initial wave of the pandemic. I'm excited to hear his story and learn how he led his team during this difficult time. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Max Hargan. Max is a company commander in the Army National Guard, and when he's not in uniform, he is the director of operations for a major transportation company in the Northeast. He is the host of the Commanding Leadership Podcast, where he shares his insights gained from over a decade of business and military leadership experience. Recently, he was mobilized to respond to the COVID crisis. So I'm excited to talk to him today about leadership and the role he played in the pandemic response. So, Max, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Pleasure to be here. Super excited to be on your podcast. Yeah, well, I'm returning the favor. I was on your podcast a long time ago, it seems like. So I'm glad that I can finally have you on the the show. So first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you end up in the role where you're an officer in the Army National Guard? Kind of a long story. So I'll do my (laughs) best to... uh, Keep, keep this short here. So we'll start off. Uh, I was born and raised in New Jersey and uh, growing up in Jersey, uh, I had an awesome childhood. You know, I got to play baseball with with my brother who was on my podcast earlier this year and just really found that I love the competition, the camaraderie in baseball and somewhere in high school and playing ball and loving the camaraderie. I wanted to kind of find a way to carry that through for the rest of my life. I wasn't going to play baseball for my whole life. And I found that, you know, the military was going to be a great way to have this type of camaraderie. And what I did is I started applying to service academies like the Naval Academy and the Merchant Marine Academy. Ironically enough, the military academy, West Point, didn't even cross my radar. I, I was heart, I was dead set on being a Navy SEAL. And so that was the dream that I carried with me uh, into college, and uh, I still carried it with me, even though I didn't get into the Naval Academy. I ended up going to the Merchant Marine Academy. And there, uh, you know, I did some of the SEAL tryouts and just a lot of the swimming, and I found that swimming really wasn't my style. I liked the land, so I uh, joined the Army Option Program at the Merchant Marine Academy and started pursuing a, you know, a passion for the ground, you know, for, for what the Army does and how diverse it really can be. And while I was at the Merchant Marine Academy, I was on leave. Uh, it was winter leave around Christmas time, and I ended up meeting my wife. And mm. she's one of the she's the cousin of one of my best friends in high school. And I carried the relationship on with her while I was going through plebe year at the Merchant Marine Academy. And I found that she was more important to me than what I'd originally 
thought my dreams could be. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to sacrifice that relationship for staying at the academy and risk everything that I, you know, really could have with this, with this girl. So I ended up leaving and I joined uh, the Auburn ROTC program and I got a scholarship because my Merchant Marine Academy tuition was full, fully paid for. My parents didn't have anything saved for college and I didn't want to do them a disservice. So I figured out, Hey, let's take a scholarship. Let's join an ROTC program. And the scholarship I got was a dedicated army national guard scholarship, mm. which is a phenomenal opportunity for anybody out there looking to join the military and give back to your community. Uh, you're forced to join the guard after you graduate, can't go active duty. So that's the scholarship I ended up taking. And that's kind of how I ended up in the national guard. You know, I'm very happy that it worked out that way. And, you know, I love the Merchant Marine Academy, but it's probably the best decision I ever made being that now I still have my girl, uh, Corinne, my wife, and now we have three beautiful kids and I'm still getting to serve and have the camaraderie that I always wanted. Oh, that's fantastic. That's great. I wonder how many people like, like you uh, are out there because I had the same experience where my parents really didn't have any money for college. So ROTC was the only way for me to the only way I could figure out how to pay for college. And yet there was a calling to kind of serve and to kind of be in the military. And I think you mentioned wanting to have that bond and be with a band of brothers. And, and that was appealing to me as well. So interesting. I wonder how many people like that are out there like you and I. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot. I mean, ROTC is a phenomenal program, you know, so, so are the service academies, but I think um, it's the ROTC community is really one who kind of, it's almost like the underdog, right? But I think it still produces, I know it still produces amazing officers uh, that are just as competent as those that go to service academies. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so, so I guess the military is one path, but how did you end up on this leadership path for, you know, both the military and business? So it seems like, you know, your background, you kind of took parallel paths where you were Army National Guard leadership role, but you also went into business and you you got into leadership roles fairly quickly. Yeah, one of the, I think, springboarding events for me was being hired at Union Pacific Railroad out in the Midwest. And right out of college or right after I went to Bullock for, for the National Guard and the Army, I ended up going to an operations management training program. Mm, it's a 10-month long intensive program, which wow. trains you to be an operations manager. And I think that's really what helped me develop my base level knowledge in parallel, like you said, with the military after going to an officer leadership course, I jumped right into this and it blends, it blended on the job training with classroom, uh, classroom sessions. So I'd go to class in Omaha, Nebraska for, you know, about a month. And then I'd go on the job training and uh, actually act out what I learned for about mm. two months. I'd return to school for lack of a better term for another month. And I did that for about 10 months. And that really gave me a great understanding of what it means to take a skill that you learn in an environment and then apply it to the real business world and how to actually lead uh, civilians and workers in the workforce. Mm. And that was definitely how I got started. And then I think I continue to evolve in my career and to the point I'm at now where I'm the director of operations at, at this transportation company. But it's, I think ultimately it just came down to my willingness to always want to bring people together, mm. you know, and just love seeing people come together with, to achieve a common goal. And that's really what I get the most fulfillment out of when I mm -hmm. am in a leadership position. It's interesting. Yeah, I think um, I can just see it, in, you know, just seeing your response to it. That's always my favorite thing. When you see a group of people 
sort of get engaged, get excited, accomplish amazing things. So there's just a satisfaction there. It's just, you know, you, you look back and you say, that's, that's why I'm in leadership. That's why I do what I do. I love that moment when you achieve this big thing that no one thought was possible. So it's a fun, it's a, that's a, that's a rewarding part of being a leader. And it sounds like you have, you've had some of those experiences as well. I definitely have. And, you know, that's, it's very fulfilling to say the least, seeing someone teaching somebody a skill or helping them overcome uh, a roadblock that they had and just seeing the look in their eye and, and the smile come across their face and being like, I did it. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's just an amazing feeling. And that's really what, what I gravitate towards, what I enjoy doing and, and why I'm so passionate about leadership. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, you know, this uh, this interview was supposed to take place uh, in April. We're now in August, so we're four months later. And the reason being is this thing called COVID sort of showed up and uh, changed everybody's plans. So you got called up, your unit, I guess, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure, but you got called up, certainly, and to be part of the COVID response. So I was really interested in hearing a little bit about what uh, what your role was in it. And, and I was kind of really curious about some of the leadership lessons you learned during the, you know, the last few months uh, in what you did. So I'm really curious about that. So. Sure. Yeah. I'd love to talk about it. So uh, first I just want to say to everybody uh, who's affected by the coronavirus pandemic, you know, my heart goes out to you and John, I know you feel the exact same way. This is definitely a, a really tough time for everybody. And, uh, you know, from being mobilized for the national guard, in my position, I wasn't on the front lines, but I got to still witness and see, um, you know, the impact that this had on on a community, especially here in, in Massachusetts, who for a while we were, you know, one of the worst, worst affected states. So um, definitely just want to send my heart out to my, uh, you know, my best wishes to everyone. And um, yeah, so when I was mobilized, uh, my entire infantry battalion was really mobilized for this, okay. for this um mobilization, except for the first responders, you know, law enforcement, EMS, et cetera, because they were already doing mm. uh, a job which was respond or mitigating the crisis. Um, and what I did, my role was the battalion operations OIC officer in charge. And I was the main operational leader, I would say, for this group of, of about 150 uh, soldiers. And what we did is was very interesting. We're an infantry unit and infantrymen really don't have, I would say, a directly applicable skill in responding to coronavirus. Right. So how we were utilized was actually to become trained on how to administer coronavirus tests. Okay. So they trained our soldiers on how to conduct this test, the nasal swab, and then they deployed us throughout the Commonwealth in 14 mobile test teams. And oh, wow. we primarily went to nursing homes and tested patients and staff in order to alleviate the burden from, you know, any other organizations out there that were conducting tests. Well, and that's, um, you mentioned it, you know, you're an infantry battalion, right? You're trained to be soldiers uh, and to, to go into battle and to defend and protect so how did how did the soldiers respond to being uh, asked to become almost medical people with conducting these uh, these COVID tests? Um, were there some that were apprehensive and they were worried about their own personal health? Uh, were there some that uh, were excited and willing to help? What, what was what was the range of emotions from the people that worked for you during this time? 
That's a great question. I, I would say at first, nearly all of them were apprehensive. I myself was apprehensive. You know, how can you take an infantryman and convert him to become a medical, you know, right. a medical technician, right. essentially? Uh, but I think what's amazing about the military and, you know, the infantrymen, I would say in particular, maybe I'm a little bit biased here, <laughs> is their bias to adapt and overcome and also their willingness to be out on the front lines. You know, infantrymen, you're on the front lines doing combat, you know, whether you're overseas or, or anywhere, you, you are the front lines. And interestingly enough, this was the front lines. This was the front lines of a, you know, a domestic response to uh, in support of civil authorities, mm. you know, so it was, I don't think there could have been a better mission for us in this, you know, COVID mitigation mission than conducting those tests. And ultimately all the soldiers, I think, uh, ended up feeling like they actually were a part of something mm. bigger than themselves. You know, this is, this is what I signed up for and I'm proud to be able to do this for my state. Well, that's good. And what did you find yourself um, as a leader um, did you learn some things about yourself in terms of leading people through that type of situation, which is, um, you know, like I said, we were, I was on your podcast way before COVID hit and, um, you never thought that you would become, uh, you know, on the front lines of a major pandemic. So what are some leadership things you learned about yourself, uh, as you led that team through this really, unusual application of, of your, your team basically in this uh, response. So I, I definitely learned for myself specifically uh, how to be a better leader from a remote position. Mm. So I couldn't necessarily go out and be with my teams because I had to remain in essentially a quarantine environment. Mm. You know, I, con I conducted my duties uh, three days a week from home because mm. uh, I, we were trying to mitigate uh, the staff from going down due to coronavirus so we can run the operation. So I really learned how to leverage communication to uh, better run an operation, whether it's remote via Microsoft Teams, uh, through the phone, and just better communicate with clear and succinct guidance so that it couldn't be misinterpreted through digital wavelengths. Mm. That was yeah. definitely one of the biggest skills that I learned personally. Um, but I also learned that uh, adaptability is absolutely key. And maybe I didn't learn that, but it was definitely re actually reinforced in this because best laid plans often go awry, right? <laughs> and you can have the best plan in place, one that you think there's never going to be something that could take you off your course. And then an unforeseen cancellation happens or somebody gets injured or a team member goes down and just being able to adapt quickly was something that I really learned how to do even better than I could before. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Deep Leadership is brought to you by Strikeforce Energy. Strikeforce Energy is a veteran-owned company founded by a Navy SEAL, and their products are all made in the USA. Strikeforce Energy is a liquid flavor pack that you can add into any beverage. It has zero calories, zero carbs, and zero sugar. Each pack contains 80 milligrams of caffeine. Strikeforce Energy is offering a discount to all the listeners of Deep Leadership. Go to strikeforceenergy.com and enter the discount code I have the watch, one word, for a 20% discount on every order. Deep Leadership is also brought to you by my Amazon best selling book, I Have the Watch Becoming a Leader Worth Following. 
This book is filled with 23 short stories on how you can become a more effective leader. It's super easy to read and most people finish it in less than two hours. Go to IHaveTheWatch.com and click the large orange button for signed copies. Enter the discount code IHaveTheWatch, one word, at checkout for 20% off your order and domestic shipping is always free. back a little bit on communications because you know I'm I'm a big proponent and you and I talked about it before in our on your podcast about being present as a leader right trying to get out of your office be with the, your people listen to them talk to them have a one-on-one com- conversations and that's the way I've always led my organizations and we find ourselves whether you're in the army national guard or you're running a company you find yourself now leading remotely and communications is a challenge, right? So uh, it's one thing to stand face to face with somebody and read their body language and and understand, you know, if they're how they're feeling about certain directives or ideas. And uh, but it's another thing to do it on the phone and you know, and these Zoom calls or the Microsoft uh, team meetings and what have you. Um, those are okay, but we're still kind of, it's a face on a screen, right? And it's a little hard to read the body language. So I like what you said, that you had to be more precise with your communication. Um, what about the other side of it, the listening? How um, Did you find yourself finding ways to be able to listen to your team better? Uh, did you find you were reaching out more often? I mean, what are some things that you learned as far as trying to listen to your team because you couldn't physically be there? Yeah, I love that. Uh, so something that I, I like to do in person is to read body language, right? Like mm-hmm. you were saying, yeah. and and that really helps me understand if somebody got my communication or received it. Um, but also, and I, I kind of do this in person, but you really need to do this when you're remote. And that is to conduct a back brief almost mm-hmm. where you speak your message, you you deliver your message, and then you make you ask the person to almost repeat it back to you yeah. in a way that you can see that they grasped and fully understand the concept. You know, something that I'm a big proponent of is the commander's intent. It is the bottom line up front, essentially, of what needs to happen, no matter uh, if, if everything else fails, if you do this, you succeed in the mission. So what I'm listening for when I'm asking for a back brief or just, hey, can you just let me know how you plan to go about this? is that intent that they mm-hmm. understand what my intent was as the leader to be able to uh, accomplish the mission. Interesting. Yeah. I, I wrote about this in my new book. I've got a, a part of the chapter. I talked about verbatim, verbatim repeat back, which is something that we use in the Navy, which I find is really important in, you know, in running and running companies as well as making sure that there's an understanding. So in the Navy, you'd give a command, you'd say left five degree rudder, stay course three, six, zero. And the, the helmsman would respond back to you, you know, left five degrees rudder, steady course three, six, zero, aye, sir. So there's a, there's a connect, connection point between I gave a command, you repeat it back the command. I listened to you repeat it back. So there's an understanding there. And um, I remember when I first got to the, to the boat, it seemed so strange to me, this, this very formal level of communication. But then when you think about us offering a nuclear 
you know, a nuclear submarine at sea under the water with a nuclear reactor, nuclear missiles, and a bunch of 18-year-olds, it really made sense to make sure people understood what the command was. So sure. I think it's interesting because it's you, you called it um, back brief, but it's almost the same thing. Uh, it's almost a verbatim repeat back in a way to, to ensure understanding and to make sure that people understand uh, what's what the directives are. Because sometimes... I think a lot of problems in, I've seen in companies is where people carry out orders, they misunderstand the command and they carry out orders going in the wrong direction. And then there's a misunderstanding and it costs money and it and causes problems. So I think right. it's really interesting. So you were doing a very similar thing uh, during during uh, the, res- the COVID response, sounds like. That's exactly it. Yeah, I think if if as a leader, if you can get your intent across to individuals and then the, your individuals or your, your team can repeat back to you what your intent is. I think you did your job in mm-hmm. effectively communicating because at the end of the day, if there's nothing else that the team remembers except your intent, they'll still have their left and right limits to be able to execute and meet your, meet your objectives. Mm, I like that a lot. That's really good. And I like what you said about adaptability too. I think that's um, something that as an entrepreneur, I've learned that is, um, has to be a major skill set, right? Um, especially, you know, life changed, right? In, in, in March and April of this year. And so we as entrepreneurs had to adapt. How do we change our, bi- the business climate has changed. Things are happening. How do we adapt? How do we change? How do we focus on, you know, continuing to deliver results, as I tell it, we have to pivot, right? Our mission remains the same, but we might have to pivot slightly in our operations to be able to to reach that mission in a new environment. And so I think one of the things I learned is, same with you, as a military officer, I was learned to be, learned how to adapt and move quickly. And the same thing, I've, I've applied it as an entrepreneur. It's really important right now that we adapt and we shift and we change and we make those pivots where we need to. That's true. And, and I think also to take it one step further, in addition to adapting, it's about learning from your mistakes, right? Because mm-hmm. when yes. you adapt, and especially with coronavirus, you, we're in uncharted territory, you know, for right. business right. leaders and even, you know, National Guard, you know, responses to situations like this. You're going to make mistakes, but it's how you learn from those mistakes that you grow and continue to develop as an organization and also as a as a leader. Yeah. Oh, I agree with that a lot. And yeah, we've got to move, you know, learn from your your mistakes, fix it and keep moving. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, um, so, uh, so one thing I was going to ask you about, because you're kind of an interesting, in an interesting position. So you spend part of your time leading and working in a military environment and you spend part of your time leading and working in a, in a business climate. So what are some of the differences you see between civilian and military leadership? Uh, you know, what are some things you, you've observed over all your years uh, doing both? So I think one of the biggest differences is in the military, there is a formal rank structure. And, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the civilian side, you, you know, you have your vice president, you have your directors and managers. But in the military, I think it's even more pronounced with the different uh, ranks that, that are present throughout. And some leaders in the military, uh, not all for sure, like to leverage their rank to mm. have their subordinates execute what they say. Mm. It's do as I say, because I said so. Right, and, right. you know, and this is definitely not the entire military. And um, I would say, you know, fewer leaders in the military than the majority, but it's something that does happen. Mm. I'm, you know, I'm your Lieutenant. I say, go do this, go do this. 
you know, in a life or death scenario, sometimes that's what needs to get done. But ultimately, that's not the best way to lead. Mm. And that's not the best way to gain support from from your subordinates, from your you know junior leaders. Uh, in the civilian side, I would say if somebody did that for the most part, that you know, subordinate or that employee is just going to say, I'm not doing that, you know, especially in, you know, union environments. I'm not doing that. That's not in my contract. Um, And I think that's one of the biggest differences. But for me personally, I I try to lead the exact same in both the military and the business, because as you write in your book, you know, leadership's a people business. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, it's about getting people to achieve the mission. Right, whether that's meeting a sales quota or hitting a KPI in the manufacturing plant. And it's when you value your people and treat them with the respect that they deserve, that's how you get people to achieve the objectives. I think you're right. Yeah, that's really good. I know a lot of times that people find out I was a military leader and they think, well, you know, you come from a command and control background and and so you must think that rank is the most important thing. And, you know, the truth truth of the matter is I you know, coming up on a submarine or, you know, leading on a submarine, there wasn't really an us and them. It was such a tight, tight quarters that we all had to kind of, we all had to pull our weight. And, um, and there wasn't a lot of privileges for an officer or a senior enlisted, you know, you kind of all ate the same food when, um, when the showers were secured because we didn't have any water, no one got a shower. I mean, it was, you know, when we went out, you know, we were gone for 80 days, 90 days, everybody was gone. Nobody was going home. So we didn't have any, real privileges. And I think part, I think there was no, there was less of the us and them, I think. And I think that's what I took away from my time. And I try to do that in the the business world is there's no really us and them. You know, I, I took over one plant and the first thing I did was they had assigned parking for all the managers and, you know, the general manager had the front spot right by the door. And uh, I didn't even, I, I saw it as I drove into this plant, I was taking over this plant and I went right to the, ma- I said, who's the maintenance manager? And they told me who was, and I went to go see him. And I said, I want paint on the, all those, you know, they had, they had their titles on the, on the uh, parking, you know, the little concrete parking post. And I said, I want those all painted over by the end of the day. Oh, that's and, great. Uh, because it's like, I don't, I don't think there should be special privileges. I mean, I think we have different roles to play as leaders, but we're not that much more, we're not more important than, than the person that's on the front line actually delivering value to the customer. Right. Yeah. You, you don't have a company without, without employees, right? Yeah, so without yeah. employees, what are you as a leader? Who are you leading? You're not, right. you're not leading anybody. <laughs> you're not leading anybody. Exactly. exactly. You know, what, one of my favorite things in the military, uh, as far as a culture is concerned with leadership is that leaders eat last. And I think mm-hmm. there's actually a book. Yeah. Uh, written about that. And that's something that, that I really bring with me into my civilian career too, is, you know, you need to make sure you're serving your employees before yourself, yes. not just food, but everything. And that's a big lesson I learned in the military, which I, I think in the civilian side, that could definitely be adapted um, by a, you know, a few more leaders out there. Yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of people go into leadership for their own personal gain and their own, they want the money, they want the title, they want the corner office. And they don't necessarily want um, to lead. They really just want up the, the, the title of leader or the title of boss. Right. So, yeah. Right. So exactly. I think it takes a special leader that wants to be that servant leader and that wants to eat last. And they want to see people change and they want to see goals achieved. And, they, you know, I think it's a different kind of leader. Exactly. Totally agree with you there. And servant leadership is definitely a topic that we, we could both talk for hours on servant <laughs> sure. leadership. And sure. it's one of my favorite topics. 
Well, that's good. Actually, let, let's, that, that makes a good transition. So tell us about the Commanding Leadership Podcast. What do you, what do you, how long you been doing it? Uh, what kind of, what kind of topics do you cover? And, um, I know you took a little hiatus with COVID, but, um, you know, you're back now. I see we got a new episode out there. So tell us a little bit about your podcast. Sure, definitely. I think um, the podcast really is is my way to share the leadership insights that I've learned from being in the military and in business, and just to help develop the next generation of leaders in business in the military. You know, I've had the opportunity to work with some incredible leaders and some maybe not so great, and both in the military and on the civilian side. And I'm trying to blend those together, kind of as I was saying earlier. Uh, I don't like to lead differently just because I have rank or I have mm. a title on the civilian side. I, I want to teach people that you can lead effectively by just treating people well, you know, mm. and, and treating people with respect. And that's really what my podcast is all about, just sharing those insights and getting some bright minds about leadership like yourself. You were my first interview on the podcast. And uh, yeah, that's, that's really it. Well, I love it. I mean, it's one of my favorites and, uh, and I'm so glad to see, I saw one in the feed uh, this morning and I said, Oh, that's great. You're back. So and I'm back. Yeah. My last episode was talking about my hiatus actually and why I oh, took good, it. And, good. and I think it's, it's really important for, for leaders to take a break every now and then and coronavirus after being mobilized, it, kind of refocused me to say, you know, family, family has to come first. And, yeah. you know, I devoted the last, you know, two months or so when I'm on my break from when I was on my break of social media and podcasting, just spending that extra hour or two with my family that I would have been working on my podcast or posting on, you know, LinkedIn or, or whatever. So um, it's a great, great leadership lesson. Just take a break when you need it. We all yeah. do sometimes. Yeah, no, that's really important. I think I've probably talked more about the self-care uh, over the past four months than anything else. Cause I see a lot of, a lot of leaders stressed, a lot of leaders, um, you know, they're, they, they put a lot of burden on their shoulders, whether it's the business, whether it's the people that they're leading that are going through tough times. And so they, you know, or they've had to do a layoff or, um, you know, so I think leaders are carrying a lot on their shoulders and they're, you know, I, th- I think anytime we, we go outside our comfort zone, right. We, we saw the world as it was, you know, at the end of 2019 and we sort of, you know, we were all in a comfort zone. We knew what we were doing. We knew what our role was. Life was good. But, you know, the, all of us got thrown out of our comfort zone in March and April. And I definitely saw a lot of stress. And there still is. I mean, there's a lot of stress, uh, in, uh, in business and whether you're a leader or a worker, everybody's going through a stressful time. So that self care element, you know, getting out, turning off. Especially I tell people, turn off the news. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's the worst yes. thing that you could be <laughs> listening to is the news right now. Cause, uh, it's just, it's always bad. You know, there's never any good stories. So, um, turn off the news, get outside, get some fresh air. You know, I think, um, we can get ourselves wrapped around an axle of bad news and it can be a downward spiral. So we have to really take care of ourselves. Totally agree with you there. Self care is so important. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, thinking back on your time in military and uh, and working in companies, so what are some characteristics that you would say of, of a great leader? So uh, there's really three that I like to talk about, and that's leaders need to have passion, persistence, and a love for people. And if you have those three things, I think you're capable of accomplishing anything. And not just you, but your team. Because mm-hmm. when you have passion, you're 
driven to achieve a goal, right? You're driven not just by KPIs, but by your love for what you're actually doing. Mm. When you're persistent, when you hit obstacles, you're able to overcome them because of your passion. And then lastly, you got your love for people because as a leader, you can't lead without the, without your people, right? Without employees, without your soldiers. So putting those three things together, passion, persistence, and love for people really helps a leader achieve the goals, the objectives, and really anything that he said he or she sets their sights on. I love that. I love that. You know, passion and persistence, those two combined are grit, as grit. Angela Duckworth calls it. And I believe those are really important. I mean, if you're going to, if you go in, you know, I, they say that, uh, you know, great leaders don't go in, go into leadership to make money. They, they go into leadership to make a difference. And you have to have a passion towards what you're trying to achieve, what you want to achieve, the mission of the organization that you're going to be a part of. And when you have that passion, then not much is going to stop you. You know, you have that, then you combine it with that persistence that you're, you're, you're not fragile. You're going to achieve your goals. I think entrepreneurs right now are proving to be very persistent, uh, and, and being able to, I think, I think entrepreneurs, I think small businesses are the ones that are going to help us bring us out of this because I think they're very adaptable. I think the big companies are struggling a bit right now. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, when, when you have to adapt, there's a difference between, Adapting at a big company, adapting at a small company, because right. when you're at a small organization, yeah, I'm sure as as you know, you know, with with your business, it's almost adapt or die, right? You right, need to exactly. find ways to yeah. to survive. And when you're at the brink of, say, extinction or at, at the end of you know end of the rope, you need you kind of get more creative in how right. you adapt and right. and you find ways to uh, really put your priorities in order, also. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I heard on your last podcast, you talking about instead of, you know, cutting people, you cut lawn care expenses. So now you're out there mowing your lawn. I'm mowing the lawn. Yes, I yeah. am. <laughs> and and <laughs> that's that's so key. So it's what do you do when you're at at the brink? Right. What do you do when yeah. you're at the precipice of failure and uh, put your priorities in perspective? And, and it really gives you a level of adaptability. And if you have that persistent persistence and passion, you're able to really, you know, knock through that barrier and, and succeed. Wow, that's great. So passion, persistent love, persistence and love of people. I love that combination. That's really powerful. That's great. So tell us a little bit about how uh, people can find out about you and your podcast. Sure. So uh, I'm most present on LinkedIn, on social media. I think that's a great platform to connect. And uh, as far as my podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash commanding leadership, or you can just go to commandingleadership.com. That's probably the easiest way to find me. I have all my social links up there and that tells you a little bit more about me, what I what I do, what I'm interested in. And a link to my podcast is right on the site. So that's commandingleadership.com. Okay, that's great. We'll put some links in the show notes so everybody can find that. But I highly encourage everyone listening to highly encourage each of you to uh, find this podcast, Commanding Leadership. It's one of my favorites. Uh, take, you know, Subscribe to it, listen to it. I think you're going to get a lot of good insight from Max. I think today he talked about a lot of things that are really important, uh, adaptability, communications, that one-on-one communications. And I, I really like how he closed it off with his passion, persistence, and the love of people. That's really powerful. So Max, thank you very much for your time and all of your wisdom today. Thank you so much, John. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm glad that uh, I could be on your show. This is amazing. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. 
Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. 